Drafting Archetypes is brought to you by Game Grid Lehigh. Game Grid Lehigh is an amazing place to buy and sell Magic the Gathering singles. Whether you're building a new cube or crafting your new constructed deck, Game Grid Lehigh is the place to do it. Got a draft coming up with some friends? Buy some seal product here and get it quick. So click the referral link in the description to help out the show. And don't forget to use the code DRAFTPRO10 to get 10% off on your next order at gglehigh.com. Hi everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and this week I will be discussing Blue-Red in Dominaria United. Blue-Red is an aggressive deck for the most part, uh, with an unusually low low creature count for an aggressive deck. Uh, Looking over recent trophy decks, it seems pretty clear that I think you want between 10 and 13 creatures most of the time, though I've seen recent trophies with as few as 8 and as many as 16 creatures, so pretty wide range acceptable, but in the middle of that seems to be most common and uh, makes sense to me in terms of, you know, you want to have enough creatures to apply pressure because you are pretty aggressive, but you also want enough spells to uh, take advantage of all of your creature triggers that look for spells in various ways. I think it's important to note, you know, with a deck like this that's really trying to combine a lot of different pieces, it's pretty good to have a target in mind in terms of like what you're looking for. Um, So I think that that number is good to keep in mind when you're drafting Blue-Red. Also, Gitu Amplifier is the most played card in Blue-Red, despite being pretty far from the best performing card, but notably, it is the best performing two-mana common creature. So it's reasonable that it gets played so much, because as an aggressive deck, you do really want two drops, and it's the best available at common. Notably, I say it's the best available at common. Balmor and Electrostatic Infantry are notable standouts at uncommon that perform way better. And this is, you know, common of a lot of aggressive archetypes that they really, the the strongest versions of them are the ones that have higher rarity, two drops in particular, because two drops are so important for aggressive decks and the higher rarity two drops are just so much better than the common ones that uh, having these strong high rarity two drops is uh, a good reason to draft the deck and something that'll give you a big edge when you do draft the deck. So look to be blue-red if you start with a Balmor or Electrostatic Infantry or get one early. And of course, if you're in blue-red and you see a card like that, be sure to take it over most other things because it's not very replaceable and really makes your deck a lot better at doing the thing that it's trying to do. If you don't see those, get to Amplifier, Goblin Picker, or Haunting Figment can work out instead, but you hope to, you know, have a few of the better ones. Battlewing Mystic's another solid uncommon that's not as exceptional as Belmore or Infantry. As far as the top end, Similar situation in terms of the uncommon is a lot better than the commons, specifically Frostfall Strider, the uncommon 4-4 that locks and taps something down, it doesn't untap, and it itself has ward, performs way better than common 5-drops like Miria's Outrider. 
In this case, I think it's not important to have a five mana creature. If you don't have exactly Frostfall Strider, it's fine to just not play a five mana creature. But if you are going to play a five, it should be Frostfall Strider. Notably, not Najal or any other, um, you know, uncommons, uh, I guess, like even the rare blue defiler isn't particularly good. Frostfall Strider is better. Um, but for the most part, uh, most of the time, I think you just don't want five mana creatures in this deck with Strider as a notable exception just for being playable. So the key cards that you're looking for at common are mostly spells. Tolarian, Geyser, Lightning Strike, Phyrexian, Espionage, Impulse, Flowstone Infusion, and Essence Scatter in roughly that order are kind of the bread and butter of your archetype. The two standout creatures at common are Talus Lookout and Telerian Terror. Those are kind of just the two common blue standout creatures for any blue deck, basically. Talus Lookout, obviously better the more blue you are and doesn't require spells as much. And Telerian Terror gets better the more spells you have, especially if those spells replace themselves. I would count a spell that replaces itself as like one and a half spells that don't replace themselves for getting to whatever number you might imagine you want your number to be when counting a number for Telerian Terror. A few things that I feel like I'm still kind of uh, just learning and incorporating into how I approach Blue-Red as... This is not an archetype that I have been personally drawn to very much. My, my default approach is to exist more on the attrition end of the spectrum than the tempo end, and this is very much a tempo deck, so not really my wheelhouse for the most part. So some things I've picked up in studying the data uh, to prepare for this that I thought were noteworthy. Flowstone Kavu is the third most successful creature, notably ahead of Soaring Drake and every two-drop. Menace makes Flowstone Kavu pretty hard to block. If your opponent does actively want to block it and like leave something back to block it and then you use a removal spell, uh, sometimes that means they wasted an attack and you hit them anyway. Also, when the game goes long and uh, you have, you know, you don't need all of your mana, it hits pretty hard and it can trade up against larger creatures and stuff like that. So not super surprising to uh, see that it's the most successful creature, but I think that I'd been probably incorrectly prioritizing Soaring Drake over it. Also, I personally had significant experiences with flooding out when I tried Blue-Red, and then because of that, I wanted to go to Academy Wall to try to fix this problem, uh, to deal with like, oh, well, I just can't trip a lot and then I have too many lands in my hand. That is the wrong way to go about things. Uh, the solution isn't to add Academy Wall, which is a creature and doesn't trigger your spell stuff. And how many times do you have to loot after having, you know, gone down a card in terms of your actual plan for the most part to play the wall? before you've like made up for having spent that mana and used that card, especially given how long it takes to get those loots. Academy Wall, the data makes very, very clear, is not where you want to be. And I think what happened is that I was overrating uh, things like timely interference that are very, very low impact, just a way to cast another spell to get a trigger. And rather than, you know, throwing good money after bad by 
adding another slot to try to mitigate the flood issues with playing these low impact cantrips because of what I was saying about how, you know, cards that replace themselves, I, I kind of count them more than cards, than cards that don't. So I was trying to maximize cards that replace themselves. Turns out you still, you know, can't be spending all of your mana spinning your wheels when you're trying to play an aggressive deck. So it's better to prioritize the spells that uh, affect the board um, or uh, replace themselves in a way that doesn't lead to flooding out. Uh, so that would be Phyrexian Espionage and Impulse, where when you cast it, you're not like drawing half of a spell or two thirds of a spell. You're like drawing at least another spell most of the time. And then Geyser is, you know, the best of it because you both get to draw something and affect the uh, the board. And then Lightning Strike and Flowstone Infusion are obviously perfect because they are both spells and affect the board in a tempo positive way. Trade with your opponent so you're not falling behind on partial resources or whatever, whatever, however you interpret drawing more lands than you need. And then Essence Scatter is very good at being a spell that trades profitably with a creature. The problem with it relative to the other removal is that you can't cast it proactively or on your turn uh, to get some of those more, you know, the, the triggers that like Balmore uh, doesn't work especially well with. So Blue-Red as a tempo deck really wants to, and also get to Implement Fire and Hunting Figment all pretty importantly. So Essence Scatter is a little bit awkward there. It's acceptable. You know, it's a strong blue card that is another spell for your Tularian Terror and stuff or your Electrostatic Infantry, but not quite as smooth of a fit for a really proactive deck. Also notably, combat tricks, while a few of them can be nice and the deck uses them pretty well because you are attacking, they suffer from the fact that they really need to be played at a specific time to get the most out of them, whereas this deck is really looking to be able to use its cards uh, really proactively and kind of spend its mana on its own terms and do stuff when you want. So that's kind of like a strike against combat tricks broadly, which, you know, is another mark against timely interference if you're trying to use it that way. And then also um, means that you don't really want to prioritize stuff like um, shore up. It's, it's okay to have a little of that, but you want most of your spells to be, uh, you know, that core of Impulse, Espionage, Geyser, Lightning Strike, Flowstone Infusion. As far as how to get into the deck, I touched on that a bit with, well, if you see, you know, a Balmor or Electrostatic Infantry type card, it's going to really strongly point you toward exactly this deck and give you a really strong start um, in that direction. Obviously, also, you could just start by taking strong blue and red common rule spells, uh, you know, Tularian Geyser and Lightning Strike are just reasonable high picks. They're strong cards. If you have a few of them and this is what's open, then, you know, you just keep taking that stuff and eventually you find some creatures that work well with it. Of course, you don't need to go too far to your way to prioritize creatures since, you know, you're not looking to have all that many of them. So it's pretty safe to like throughout pack one and most of the draft, just prioritize getting as many of the good instants and sorceries as you can. And then kind of pick up those creatures in the back half of the pack or whenever there's, you know, not good spell alternative. And your goblin pickers and infantries and figments, none of those are high picks for anyone, really. So you should just kind of accidentally get the 
common creatures that you need to kind of round out your deck. As long as you prioritize those key creatures, the uncommons, uh, Talus Lookout, and Tolarian Terror, um, you can pretty safely prioritize spells over creatures throughout most, if not the entire draft. Really pretty straightforward archetype. Uh, the main pitfalls to avoid are, you know, having the wrong mix of creatures and spells. I think if you stay in that like 10 to 14 creature range, you should be pretty safe. Having too much air. So if your spells are, you know, too, too many reactive spells or too much air, just like generally not being able to uh, cast your spells on your own term and affect the battlefield with them. So you want to minimize how many of your spells are kind of those more narrow timely interference, shore up and furious bellow type spells maximize the spells that, that are and also i mean essence scatter to some extent would fit in that kind of you know narrow it's okay to have a little of this but you want the bulk of your spells to be something else kind of space and then again just as many geysers strikes espionages impulses and infusions as you can get and that should make up the bulk of your deck you know obviously any uh strong rares that you get in this space are just going to improve your deck uh, as with anything. But I do think that this is a deck that uh, really, you know, doesn't need them. A lot of, you know, all the synergies here exist at common. Uh, there are not very many particularly synergistic rares. Uh, the best rare in this archetype, incidentally, is Squee. There are some, you know, uncommon signposts that are exceptional here. Valmor, Fires of Victory, uh, Micromancer, and Electrostatic Infantry in particular. But I think this is a deck that if everyone in the draft is just building a deck out of commons, um, this is going to be one of the best decks. There are just, a, you know, a lot of, there's enough synergy, enough power at common. And again, the fact that like those two drops that you want, you can get pretty late makes things a lot easier. So this is a reasonably safe deck to draft in terms of there's plenty of support for it. And it's not that hard and it's like pretty strong and reasonably straightforward. You know, uh, all of the normal issues in terms of like figuring out how to, you know, push damage, when to like play another creature versus using a Tolarian Geyser. Like if you played a two drop and then your opponent plays a thing, is it better for you to like play your Floatstone Kavu first and then Geyser later? Or is it better to just like Geyser and hit them and figure out, you know, get that damage in while you can, not miss an attack step? Usually I would say just play your other creature first and then start playing the tempo spells, but really depends on the exact situation, whether you need, you know, if it's like a Geyser, are you looking to, you know, draw a card to hit your next land drop? If you, especially if you have something more expensive, you're looking to play. Are you trying to like get a toy and terror online faster, stuff like that? But for the most part, this is a deck that's just looking to use its mana, play its creatures, and then use some tempo spells to get those creatures through and recharge with espionage and impulse. Keep keep your spells flowing, keep your triggers coming. If you have Amplifier and other two drops and you think you're going to get to five, save your Amplifier to kick it. Otherwise, maybe play it earlier to uh, get more damage if you're going to be playing spells over the next few turns. Basic stuff like that. So yeah, that's that covers the notes here. Not, um, I guess, vague mention about splashing since it's such a 
common thing to think about in this format. I don't think that there are a lot of cards that this deck wants to, sp to splash. Um, it's nice if you can have a little bit of uh, white mana or a little bit of black mana, white for geyser if you want to kick it, black if you get Rona's Vortex. But um, I wouldn't go out of my way to have a lot of white dual lands. I don't think you would want to play more than two-ish or something. Like, it's not particularly important to kick Geyser. And similar with black, like, I, even if I have a Vortex, maybe if I have, like, two Vortexes and a Micromancer, then I might want, like, you know, three or more black duels. But, you know, for the most part, if I just have, like, a Vortex, I wouldn't really want more than two. I think... Grotto is pretty good here. Uh, the scry really helps, and that can cover kind of all of your weird little kickers. But for the most part, uh, I don't think that the cards that you're playing benefit a lot from being kicked, except for, you know, cards that are blue and kick for red or are red and kick for blue that you're going to be able to kick naturally anyway. As far as, like, splashing spells, I suppose another relevant white splash is Keldon Strike Team, but I think that that's mostly not a card you're looking to play. I have played versions of this deck that splash. So splashing green leads you into the like team or tricks archetype that I've talked about. Uh, splashing black puts you into Grixis control, makes you likely to be more of an attrition kind of deck. Splashing white would be for stuff like Wrath, Protect the Negotiators. That stuff's like okay, but... It's all kind of early and puts a lot of strain on your mana base and makes the deck a little bit like it gives you a lot more late game power weirdly. I mean, kind of it more like what's the best way to put it? Resilience, maybe like you're adding cheap cards that don't really go that far over the top late and want to be played early, but they don't really make your deck faster, which you're generally trying to be. Like Raph in particular, you often end up kind of giving up damage to draw cards so that you're better late, but that's kind of a weird thing to try to do in a tempo deck. So while it's a really, really strong card that plays well with these things, it kind of puts you in an awkward space and puts a lot of pressure on your mana base. So I, I guess this is to say that if I have Raph, I would much rather be in the like base blue white splash red rather than base blue red splash white and kind of thinking about my deck in more of a like blue a blue white mindset rather than a blue red mindset where I want to you know try to be able to focus on the blue red mindset being more of a tempo mindset if all of that makes sense that covers Sarcotype from uh you know my lecture and my notes um if anyone in chat has any questions as always please submit those now this is uh the time when i would normally thank my patrons and uh plug patreon.com slash drafting archetypes no new patrons this week but i do want to mention another thing that i think i've mentioned before on this podcast but i'm not totally sure the magic summit is a magic event coming up in Salt Lake City that uh, will be happening at the same time as the Brothers of War pre-release. And it's going to be a huge tournament with a uh, pre-release event that has a Black Lotus 
as the prize and then a whole bunch of side events and stuff like that. I think it's going to be a really cool event. I've always wanted to play kind of like a pre-release with like actual stakes, show off, you know, who's best at understanding a set uh, on the first day. Uh, I hope it's me, <laughs> but could be anybody else also, of course. And if you think that that's an environment you might thrive in or just something that sounds fun to you, highly recommend uh, checking it out. And um, I have a discount code for that event, uh, which is just Sam Black. I'll, I'll try to put a link to that somewhere, but uh, I, I will be at that and encourage anyone else who's going to find me and say hi and anyone who's thinking about going to check it out. And if you decide to go to, again, use that discount code Sam Black. So questions for the archetype. Would you play Balamar on turn two as a way to push damage slash eat removal, or do you wait until much later to use it as an overrun, assuming it'll die the next turn? Some of that is going to depend on what lands and stuff you've you know seen from your opponent, like how likely it is that they're going to have a removal spell for it. Another big question is what's the alternative? Are you doing nothing with your mana? Are you holding up Essence Scatter? Are you holding up Essence Scatter and Impulse? Are you playing a two drop? Are you playing a tap land and kind of only wasting one mana? Are you on the play or the draw? Um, all that stuff matters. I think that I would generally play Balmor most of the time if I didn't have another creature but I would uh, maybe play a different creature first if I did have another creature. And by maybe, I mean, I, I think I would almost always play a different two drop rather than playing Belmar on two, but I wouldn't want to not play a two drop on the play to try to get more value out of Belmar later. If I'm on the draw and I have like, I can either play Belmar or hold up Essence Scatter. If my opponent hasn't made a play, I might wait. I might play Balmor. Kind of depends on, again, just the rest of my hand and my deck in terms of do I feel like waiting around is going to work out well for me or do I feel like I need to get under them? It's, I mean, it's a good question, but pretty, pretty hard to generalize for. I, I think that I, in general, you know, want to air toward. I hope that I've played my deck in a way that it's not totally reliant on Balmore and I need to just, you know, put my aggressive cards into play and try to get value out of them. How do you approach drafting blue-red without getting Balmore, Infantry, or Terror in the early packs? Uh, would you splash other colors or consider taking Coral Colony and some Academy Walls? No, I, I would definitely not do the try to turn it into a control deck with Coral Colony and Academy Walls kind of thing. And I wouldn't try to play big creatures. Uh, I think if you don't get uh, Balmore and Infantry, you're better off just trying to rely on Talus Lookout, ideally, alternatively, just like Flowstone Kavu and Goblin Picker, Amplifier, and Figment. I, I think the deck really does want to be proactive. Basically, I don't think this is an archetype where you can decide to just like go, you know, grindy control instead. There are too many different ways that people just go over you in this format, like every possible different direction. You really, really don't have the tools to play a long game just based on a Coral Colony and an Academy Wall. You do want to be proactive with your blue-red decks. So if you if you don't get the premium creatures, just use the second tier creatures, and I hope that you're getting premium spells instead, or maybe you're supposed to be in a different color pair. 
but uh, I would not consider like blue red wall control to be uh, one of my alternatives. I, I would rather just pivot into another archetype, like get find find different colors if these colors aren't open. How much difference do you perceive of the blue red deck and teamer tricks? Um, I, I think that uh, it is a smooth pivot from one to the other. You can certainly have a blue-red deck that's kind of just splashing green for some of the tricks. And then if green aggressive creatures end up being more open, you can pretty smoothly transition to either your red or blue cards being splashed. I think if you're looking for like off-ramps and pivots, I would much rather look to adding green or pivoting into you know some kind of aggressive combat tricks based deck rather than trying to pivot more controlling and finding more expensive uh, red and blue creatures or more defensive red and blue creatures. Given that the archetype often has a number of amplifiers, figments, or flame sages, how much lower do you rate picking up scatters and other counter spells? Uh, appreciably. You know, like Essence Scatter is a really good card. Uh, like, I think Essence Scatter is a stronger card in this format than, say, Flowstone Infusion. But in this archetype, I would take Flowstone Infusion over Essence Scatter because you really do want to be able to use your cards on your terms um, and on your turn. All right, looks like that's going to cover it. Nice, uh, short, simple episode for a pretty simple archetype. I will say that, you know, while I think that what's going on here is pretty straight straightforward, uh, there are a number of meaningful traps to avoid. And I mean, I think that I personally had a bit of a like level up moment just kind of in thinking about and studying for this episode. I think that, uh, you know, the, how to deal with, uh, you know, how many like cards that replace themselves you want and how to avoid flooding out if you have too much of that and what kind of spells to prioritize is a thing that hadn't quite uh, clicked properly for me. And I think that it makes sense that you really want to focus on, you know, making sure that your spells are for the most part impactful rather than kind of air, which is a, a significant step in understanding exactly how I want to be approaching this for me. So if anyone else was kind of struggling in the same space that I was, hopefully this helps you too. Anyway, the one last question from chat it's slightly off topic, but since I did mention it earlier, am I going to be signing cards at the summit? Yes. Um, anytime you can find me, if you have something you'd like me to sign, I'm uh, happy to sign it for you or, you know, whatever else. You know, if you uh, want me to take a look at a deck or something, if I have time, I'm generally happy to. Again, thanks for listening, everyone. And that, I think we'll likely wrap up my coverage of Dominaria United. Next week, I'm going to be talking about cube drafting, not looking at an, a particular archetype in a particular cube, but uh, taking a broader look at my approach to cubes, especially unfamiliar cubes and my first drafts in cubes and other, other kind of like big picture issues for cube drafting uh on the the big picture level so doing something a little bit different next week uh inspired by uh my time at cubecon last weekend i think i'm looking forward to it should be a pretty fun episode and then after that we can probably start getting into brothers war stuff thanks and looking forward to some fun uh different 
kinds of stuff in the upcoming weeks, and I'll be back later. Yeah.